Whoosh, whoosh. Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a bay watch because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And this is season one, episode 13, Home Court. I hate the pun. I hate it so much. I love it so much. I want to talk about how amazing it is, and I wish all of the episode titles were puns. Uh, I am glad that it's not. Otherwise, I might I might <laughs> off myself. Um, so, briefly, we talked about this right before we started the episode. You like this episode. Uh, we'll see how my thoughts develop on this episode as we go on. <laughs> I think I might just still be remembering how bad last week was and so my like relative quality scale is off but i don't know i thought this was fun i don't know what you're talking about i thought cool cat saves the kids was an amazing episode (laughs) of baywatch (laughs) just so many twists and turns i really learned about gun safety yeah yeah so this episode uh was written by terry irwin and william a schwartz directed by paul schneider Originally aired January 12, 1990, one year to the day before I was born. Uh, Terry Irwin wrote Message in a Bottle and Shelter Me. And William Schwartz wrote The Drowning Pool. He teamed with Jill Donner for Cruise Ship and Ernie Wallengren for The Credin of the Shallows, a.k.a. the episode that should be called The Night Puncher. (laughs) Uh, So we have quite a bit of housekeeping here. Mm-hmm. Quite a, be- a few stuff to talk about. Firstly, this is the first appearance of John D. Court, a main character of this show. Uh, Ooh. Yes. I am glad to hear that. Yes, he is a main character. Uh, I'm not going to tell you for how long, but he is sure. a main character. Uh, the actor who plays John Court hasn't really done a lot of important stuff so there's really not much to talk about i would say he's probably most famous for playing john d court yeah i googled him during this episode mostly just because i thought he was very attractive and i was curious to see what else he had been on and the answer is very little yeah he's a great looking man um oh yeah this is also the last on-camera appearance of peter phelps as trevor cole um really This is the last episode with Trevor Cole. He will be credited for the rest of the season. But after this episode, he said, I'm out. Um, That is, you know, really shocking because he is kind of an important character, not in this episode, but in the show. Uh, And it's sad to see him go. I love Trevor. Uh, I kind of have a soft spot for this piece of shit. Uh, yeah, you know, he kind of, there's this, you know, sentence that I heard someone say once about one of their friends, which is he's an asshole. He's a piece of shit, but he's our asshole piece of shit. And that's what I feel about Trevor Cole. Um, yeah, I've definitely warmed up to him over the course of the last 14 episodes or however long it's been. Yeah. And he's, Peter Phelps wrote a book and he, he's mentioned that, you know, he just didn't, didn't really want to be on the show anymore. Um, and I guess it was, it just, he wanted to do something different and that's why he left. Nothing, you know, too scandalous there. Mm -hmm. Gregory Allen Williams, who plays officer Garner is now actually in the credits. He was not before, um, unless you're watching the remaster in which she's always been in the credits. But if you're watching the original version, he is now listed in the credits. So that's great news. Now, now let's talk about some of the guest stars. So first off we have. Colleen Coffey, who plays Melinda, who is the object of John D. Court's wooing. You may know her better for her role as Caroline Angelo, the wife of Pierce Brosnan in Lawnmower Man. No shit. Yes. It's our Lawnmower Man crossover. Yes. <laughs> uh, I was so happy when I when I saw this. Um, she's been a few other stuff, but Lawnmower Man's the important part here. Um, next, we have Marty slash Martin in this episode, who's the jerk ass boyfriend. He is played by J.C. McKenzie. 
So first, he would go on to star in the show Murder One as Errol Spivak, which is the first television detective show that follows a single case across multiple seasons, later made famous by The Wire. Uh, he would then uh, bring this character back for the show Hemlock Grove. He'd also go on to star in the cult classic show Dark Angel alongside Jessica Alba. He'd also go on to star in the show's Vinyl, Madam Secretary, and October Faction. Lastly, because of Vinyl, he has an in with Martin Scorsese, and he's been in four Scorsese films uh, because Scorsese directed the show Vinyl. So he's gone on to do a lot better stuff than Baywatch. He's definitely got a Scorsese look about him. Like, I totally buy yeah. as, like, you know. Uh, his girlfriend in the episode, Wanda, is played by Lysia Naff, who previously was the lead dancer in the 1982 television show Fame, which I thought was pretty cool. Didn't expect that. Uh, Bruce Fairbairn, who plays Sam, was in 46 episodes of the cop drama The Rookies. Also, he was in a horror movie I want to see now called Do You Know the Muffin Man? (laughs) (laughs) It's not about muffins. I looked it up. Now, lastly, we have what might be the most surprising, and that is Gran Hezlov, who plays the sandwich salesman Buddy Semple. And he is by far the most famous of all of these people. Really? Uh, He has done a lot of things you have seen. For example... He has produced, or was the producer of Argo, The Men Who Stare at Goats, Good Night and Good Luck, August Osage County, The Ides of March, and The American. Holy shit. He is also George Clooney's writing partner and has written The Monuments Men, Good Night and Good Luck, The Ides of March, and Suburbicon. He also directed The Men Who Stare at Goats. Huh. He's also directed, most importantly, an episode of Even Stevens. Uh, But he has like 76 acting roles throughout his career. He is George Clooney's primary writing partner and has basically written all of the last few George Clooney movies. Um, That is fascinating. Yeah. I assume that his relationship with George Clooney was not a thing at this point. Although, I guess maybe this was before Clooney got big. Like, I I don't know that much about, like, early Clooney. I mean, Clooney's big, big first role was, uh, uh, was it General Hospital or ER? I always forget. I think it's General Hospital. Or maybe it was ER. I can't remember which one it was. But that was his big first role was in Mm -hmm. medical drama. And I think he met... uh, uh, Grant has met him after sometime after then, uh, but gotcha. yeah, the dude, the dude has done a lot of stuff. That's our housekeeping for the episode. Uh, Morgan, do you want to take us into the episode? Sure. Yeah, we start off with a bit of excitement. We've got ourselves a some sort of salvage diver or something who's rigging an underwater crate full of electronics to explode. Fragile electronics. It's very mm-hmm. important. <laughs> I kind of feel like if they're already at the bottom of the ocean, they're probably fucked. Um, but, you know. <laughs> no, it's the the water provides a cushion for it to float down. Yeah. That's how it works. How that works. Yep. <laughs> uh, next, we cut to a biker bar where a guy in a cowboy hat, uh, who we will later learn is Court. Uh, is shooting pool when a girl comes over to flirt with him and he kind of ignores her for a bit and then we learn he was a Navy SEAL and then he kisses her ear and then one of the big burly bikers in the bar comes over because that's his girlfriend and then Court and the biker fight for a little bit and Court just like wrecks the dude and drives off on the biker's hog with his girlfriend behind him. It's weird because this is the second thing I have watched in the last seven days that has a prolonged uh, bar fight. Um, because the other thing I watched was the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Um, <laughs> um, and I gotta say, Sonic the Hedgehog's biker, uh, sorry, biker bar fight is much, much better than Baywatch's. Uh, oh, man. Sonic the Hedgehog movie, it's not great (laughs) it's fun it's it's 
There's the there's the pull quote for the cover yeah. DVD. <laughs> it's not Michael. great. It's not great. great. <laughs> but it and its story makes no sense. Like, oh, I I had these teleportation rings that took you to like Wisconsin or the mushroom world. But I want you to go to the mushroom world. No, I want to go to Earth. Uh, also, San Francisco, uh, because the echidnas are attacking me. Ah, um, but it's also fun, <laughs> and I can't believe I'm saying that because I, honestly, I believe it. Not having seen the Sonic movie, but it seems like a just like dumb good time. Yeah, I mean, it's not as good as what I watched last night, which is Jacques Demy's The Umbrellas of Chabot. Uh, <laughs> Which is a 1964 <laughs> French New Wave musical classic. But, you know, it's close. It's close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of them have Gangster's Paradise, so... It's true. This is true. Now, mind you, <laughs> during this whole tangent, I've been playing the episode, and the bar fight started when I said... When I started the Sonic analogy, and it just ended now. So it's a long bar fight. Yes. There are a lot of scenes in this episode that are very long and that you definitely could have cut down. Right. Um, I will say that for sure. But yeah, Court and the biker's girlfriend... Uh, Melinda. Melinda. Court and Melinda. I don't think they ever say her name in the episode. Uh, Maybe, maybe. No, they do. He says Melinda a few times. Oh, okay. This shows you how much attention I pay to these episodes sometimes. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Um, they drive off into the night and a, a car turns its lights on and starts following them. And then it's the next morning and they've been riding the motorcycle the whole night, I guess. And now they're on the beach, um, riding the motorcycle. Um, very nice eighties Yamaha 350. Real nice. Uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know exactly what style of bike it is, but it's some sort of dual sport that can get on road and on beach um mitch uh starts driving his truck down the beach and court is like hey you want to do something fun and which like for varying varying levels of fun yeah it i it didn't seem that fun but you know <laughs> um the thing they're gonna do is chase mitch's truck down on the motorcycle and then drive so he's like right on the like tide line and then they decide to go on the water side of things and they drive past and splash mitch through the open window and do a sweet uh i think that's a j turn when you just spin 180 and oh yeah i think that i think i think that's a j turn yeah um and mitch is all pissed off and gets out of the truck and walks up to court and then realizes who it is and it turns out they're friends and it's cool um all the while, a guy with a dragon tattoo is watching them through some binoculars. I, I God, I wish I remembered the name of the of the writer of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo so I could make a joke <laughs> here, but I messed it up. Oh, it's, never going to uh, favor Oh, God, it's something Swedish. Yeah, exactly. I, I own <laughs> someone gave me the third book, which makes no sense since they go in uh, order. And I'm yeah. like, why would you do this? And they're like, I had four copies. Why did you have four <laughs> copies of the yeah, that's third not book? An answer. That raises more questions. <laughs> I, I never got the answer. They like left my life after giving me that book. <laughs> I, th there's something very shady about that. Yeah. I went and saw the movie when I was about 14 with my grandmother, which was an interesting experience, let me tell you. Oh, we should save that for a bonus episode of the podcast. <laughs> um, we're back in headquarters, and Court's telling Mitch about his night and the bar fight and all that, and then a phone call comes in, and it's for Court, because Court's been giving out the lifeguard HQ number, um... And Craig comes in right after Court leaves, and it turns out Craig knows Court as well. Court used to be a lifeguard here, and the reason he's here, ostensibly, is because every plot convenient number of years, you have to show up and do 10 days to be able to keep your license. Mm -hmm. So he's going to work a tower. And the three of them talk about an old friend of theirs, Sam, who used to be a 
criminal or something. They're never really clear. I thought he was supposed to be a lifeguard at one point. He was a lifeguard, and I think also he was involved with whatever crime court is doing. Um, But now he's running a shop down on the beach or on the boardwalk. Oh, yeah, that. Okay, yeah. It's not it's not important. Yeah, no, it super isn't. Um, And then we get the introduction of our B plot. And I have a note later on, which is that I really watching this show reminds me how much better it is when shows like have literally any connectivity between the A plot and the B plot. Um, yep. <laughs> this episode does not because the B plot is about sandwiches. Well, think of it like this. <laughs> Imagine that this is, mm, I think season three or maybe it's season four of game of Thrones. Your ape and you know, court is kind of like your, um, uh, I, 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 let's say, let's say court is your Cersei Lannister, uh, you know, clear main character kind of has their their hands in a little bit of everything trying to pretend to be legal but clearly doing some illegal stuff um but the beach is dorn nobody gives a shit (laughs) it's just all a bunch of like it's they're like let's throw all of our women here (laughs) this is where all the women have plot now um and they get to do something that has overall a no point for the for the rest of the series mm-hmm. um and doesn't actually get resolved in any way um except for the women get showed up yeah so just like game of thrones no there's even there's even some deeper parallels here i've been thinking because uh like the main characters in dorn are the sand snakes and the main character in the subplot is sandwiches <laughs> Um, Johnny is attempting to get a refund for half of her sandwich from a beach vendor. <laughs> um, when Jill shows up and Shawnee and Jill uh, decide that they're going to start a little turf war and start selling their own sandwiches. Oh, God. Yeah. So this is this is just like, um, you know, uh, High Garden and Dorn have always had a little bit of a rivalry just as. Jill and Shawnee have always had a little bit of a rivalry with Buddy Semple. Clearly the <laughs> the high garden of of Baywatch. <laughs> you know, but Buddy 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 likes to sell sandwiches that A have rotten meat and two not enough meat, so therefore yes. not enough rotten meat. Uh which is really just you know such a high garden kind of thing to do. Um, And Shawnee being the Dornish woman that she is um, (laughs) really just is opposed to abject capitalism by saying that Buddy Semple has a monopoly on food on the beach ever since. And I quote, Mr. Stein's weenie wagon shut down, (laughs) which man, I really want to go to Mr. Stein's weenie wagon. Uh, I forgot about that line. That is excellent. Yeah, and so Jill convinces Shawnee, no, Shawnee, sorry, Shawnee convinces Jill that they should sell sandwiches on their off days, and Jill is very much like, I will attempt to humor this 21-year-old, but I'm not going to do it very hard. I'm just going to try the absolute bare minimum, and she's still going to be better than everyone at it, because Jill is amazing. True. Speaking of people who are better than everyone, or at least think they are. Uh, Court's going through Eddie's locker in the locker room when Eddie shows up, and they banter for a little bit about how it's Eddie's locker. And so Eddie ends up punching Court in the face, and Court's just kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. Yep. Um, and Court says, you should get a better lock, and just walks off. He's so cool. No, he's not. This is another scene that, like, it took me... 10 seconds to read what happened in it. It goes on for like a minute and a half. Yep. And there is nothing else important. Um, next, we get some more court. He's on the dock at night, meeting up with Jack, who's a very sketchy character who's on a boat. Jack hands him an envelope of cash and a page of instructions and says, everything you need is in this envelope. And then court reads the instructions and leaves. Um, this scene is actually like properly paced. Yeah. Yeah. They they do a little bit of setting up where like 
court shows up and he's like, okay, so what is it this time? Like drugs or cargo or whatever. Um, and then gets the envelope from Jack. But yeah, I thought this one was actually reasonable. But yeah, after court leaves the docks, he heads to Sam's shop where Sam is selling a kid a surfboard and haggling for how much he's going to give the kid and trade in for his old board. Um, and it, it felt like this might be a scam, but they never address it. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was like potentially a properly run business. But Sam also looks like if Mitch decided to just do a bunch of hard drugs, like that's what he looks like. Oh, yeah. And therefore, what I'm what I'm clearly saying is that anybody who does hard drugs is clearly not someone to be trusted and not actually just someone who maybe should be trusted, but also is just choosing with their own volition to do a drug. Um, because remember, this is a liberal podcast and not one where I make mistakes. <laughs> um, speaking of mistakes. Court's trying to get Sam to make a mistake. Ooh, nice tie-in, nice tie-in. Thank you, thank you. Way to take uh, my mistake and turn it into a success. Yeah, we're going to take a mistake and turn it into a mistake sandwich. Uh, Court's here because he wants to rent out Sam's boat to go get the crates that we saw in the opening. Uh, but Sam doesn't do that kind of thing anymore, so he's not interested. But eventually... Court is like, but what if I gave you a lot of money? And Sam's like, all right, cool. You can sleep on the air mattress in the floor of my shop. I don't know if it's implied that he used to do it. I don't I, I know. It just seems like that he's such good friends with him that he's willing to go along with it as well as being paid money. Uh, I, I don't really know if it's the implication that Sam used to do bad things. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely read it that way, but I agree that it's super ambiguous. Like, they don't really talk about it one way or the other. I just got, like, I don't know, a vibe from him. It doesn't matter in the end. Sam is unimportant. For sure. Um, next, we go to uh, a locker room where Eddie and Craig and Shawnee are arguing about court and Shawnee thinks that court is hotter than Clint Eastwood, which I thoroughly agree with. Yep. I also wrote that too. <laughs> uh, Eddie is convinced that he could definitely fight court. And uh, as we've seen earlier in the episode, he definitely can't. And Shawnee <laughs> and Craig also don't think he can. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know that Eddie isn't just like a spitfire like Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> I think Billy Warlock should have been Sonic the Hedgehog. Just deep Philly accent. Just going, what did I ever do to you? Which is a New York accent. I can't do a Philly accent. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I can either. I'm not even going to try. But I think I think the you know main problem here is that there just aren't enough rings around for Eddie to collect. Uh, um, correct. That, you know, how are yeah. you supposed to get those turbo dashes in? I, I, I'm, excuse me? Turbo dashes? I don't know. Whatever the name of the thing from Adventure to Battle was called. Spin Attack, Turbo Dash, something like that. Adventure know. to Battle. Oh, Sonic Adventure 2, Sonic. Oh, you just mean yes. Burst. Is that what I, that's literally the only Sonic game I've played, and I played it 15 years ago. It's uh, called, it's just Burst. Oh, it's, okay. <laughs> Anyways, Turbo Dash. I think Turbo Dash sounds cooler. <laughs> Turbo Dash does sound more, uh, you know, like it has blast processing behind it than Burst does, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the only only way our TVs can handle the speed of Sonic is with blast processing. Oh yeah, got to get all four thousand of those sweet sweet Sonic pixels. You, you know what else has blast processing? <laughs> what, Michael? It's it's court because court <laughs> court is now here in in Sam's little office. He's laying down. He's got his cowboy boots there on the floor and his hat draped over them. His coffee mug is there and his jacket is just kind of nonchalantly laid there while sensual music plays. Mm -hmm. And court is reading Soldier of Fortune magazine. The yeah. Journal of Professional Adventurers. Now, mind you, this is an expanded issue, and the main article is called Bizarre Bizarre. Uh, <laughs> and there are ads for different pistols with the tagline, Policeman, Soldier, Citizen, 
Hunter. Um, <laughs> and I didn't think that I could handle just that much manliness in one scene. But thank you, Blast Processing. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he wakes up in Sam's shop and, and finally convinces Sam to go along with it. Sam's having second thoughts, but Court says he'll make sandwiches. And then I guess that's our tie in between the A and B plot. Uh, I, I guess so. I guess I guess actually this episode is genius. All right. Well, th- <laughs> well, now we're going to get to our F plot. Um, <laughs> because now we have the plot of Martin and Wanda. So Buddy God. tries to sell sandwiches to Martin and Wanda, a young, sexy couple there on the beach. Uh, and so Buddy tries to sell Wanda a shrimp salad on a croissant with sprouts, but she already bought a chicken sandwich from from Jill and ate it 30 seconds ago. And Martin is upset that she would eat again. Um, <laughs> but Martin uh, also says he bought from her because she has better legs than Buddy. And this makes Wanda very upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where we learn that Martin is not a good boyfriend. And that is everything you need to know about this F plot. Yep. Yeah. There's one more scene with them, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird little interlude and I don't know why we care. Um, also I gotta say of all the sandwiches that I would want to buy from a cooler on the beach, shrimp feels like the very bottom of the list. Cause I do not trust that shrimp. There is no way that is good. I imagine it's just like sh- mini shrimp cocktail shrimp. It's got to yeah. be. It's not like someone's like, I got you a tiger prawn <laughs> put on a croissant and here's some sprouts I just threw on it. <laughs> I'm thinking more that like there's no way that cooler is staying like ice cold all day. And I don't trust like warm shrimp in the sun. Well, don't 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 worry. You see, because of because of the croissant. Right. You know, the croissant is, it, it's crunchy, right? And you, you want to have a good crunch when you eat it, Crun- right? Crunchy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you, okay. Right. And nothing would add to that crunch more than having a shrimp salad. Now, mind you, these shrimp is all tail, baby. It's only shrimp tails. So you just bite into it and you're like, mmm, I just love breaking my teeth. And you got the sprouts there. The sprouts kind of just smooth out the rough edges of the tail as they brush along it. And, you know, it's really just a pleasure in your mouth. Mmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Eddie and Court are on the beach talking about different places that they've been. Uh, and this is the first time we see Court with his shirt off. And oh boy, my dude is shredded. Yep. Shredded like lettuce. Yep. Um, Eddie's starting to warm up to Court. And they find the couple that uh, sandwich guy, buddy. I have him in my notes as sandwich guy because I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, tried to sell a sandwich to and and they're fighting. And then Court breaks up the fight after they make some gay jokes about how Court and Eddie are boyfriends. And isn't that funny? Mm. Um, next up, we have the Court montage. So what was what was your music in this scene? Uh, it was it was kind of generic. I tried Googling the lyrics and nothing came up. Um yeah, I assume it was something wild in yours. Yes. Oh, boy. So what I got is an original song. This is Too Hot to Handle by Ooh. Savannah Stalin, uh, which I may be mispronouncing. But also, uh, I found the music video on, of course, BaywatchRemasteredHD.com, but they misspelled her name. So oh. they call her Savannah instead of Savannah. Um now, Savannah Stalin is also an actress. She started a movie called Spork uh, and then was in two episodes of Hannah Montana and then some other stuff. Uh, this is my least favorite song that's ever been on this show. It is wow. disgustingly pop country, and I hate <laughs> pop country. Oh, my God. It's just I, I could not stand this song, but I still have the lyrics, and I will read them to you. Please. I'm hypnotized by what's before me. 
you didn't know you could cast a spell, which is very oddly written as a lyric. I'm paralyzed. I want to break free. You're not the kind of kiss and tell. So good. So fine. I want to make you mine. You're the fire I want so much. Your heat is a burning candle, a flaming ember you can't touch. You're too hot, too hot to handle. Stop and stare. (laughs) You're an obsession for every girl. It's plain to see. I'd be there with my affection if I could make you notice me. So good. So fine. I want to make you mine. You are the fire I want so much. Your heat is a burning candle. So yeah, that's the song. It's atrocious. Uh, sorry, Savannah Stalen, but like I, I just cannot stand this song. Yeah, it's not good. Well, the, I mean, the lyrics are pretty much, you know, they toe the line there as far as the original songs on the show go. But usually the songs themselves, I think, are catchy. And this one is not catchy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically a whole montage of... Uh, just him being stared at by women and then he saves a dog and generally does lifeguard things. And, uh, yeah, it goes on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we get back to our B plot, which is Jill is going around selling sandwiches and sandwich guy is real mad. Uh, and then he says that because Jill is hot, it's sexual harassment. And we all laugh about the very funny joke. Mm. Uh, yeah, but he sucks. Yeah, yeah. I wish the B plot had been better, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow, what a downer. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I did still enjoy this episode, but you don't make it sound like you do. I know. I that's the thing is like. So we're getting through it pretty fast because, like, there isn't actually a lot that happens in this episode. But I do think that, like, A, I think Court is an interesting character and played well. Um, He's acted very well. Yeah, totally. And and just in general, like, this this just felt like a more coherent episode than I think we've seen in a bit, even with the, like nonsense b plot it's it's hard to be worse than armored car like let's let's be honest here armored car was one of the most boring episodes of television i have ever seen in my Mm -hmm. life it was just so bad Mm -hmm. um but we're about to get to some excitement because sam and court are finally going to go diving for those crates that we saw earlier and we keep getting shots of the explosives in a, like, 45-second-long scene, there's, like, three shots of the explosives in case you've forgotten in the past 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, finally, they explode, and we cut away. You see, I-, I was very confused here, and I'm glad they showed me the explosives, because I thought, in fact, they were going for the underwater, um, underwater collect all the, like, little icons level from a <laughs> Donkey Kong Country game, where they turn into a swordfish. And I was like, oh, they're gonna break through, they're gonna break through the boxes. Okay, that makes sense. And I was like, explosives? Wait, what? This is a live-action show. And then they blow up, and I was like, oh, it's a throwback to Al. And then I was like, no, this show actually actually isn't that intelligent never mind no, no. <laughs> um but he does he's he's not dead yet by the way he's he's not officially dead yet i mean he's not for another five seconds right and that's why it's funny yeah <laughs> because in the next scene we cut to Garner, Mitch, and Court going to accost Jack because Court is pissed. And Court reveals in an aside, it wasn't supposed to end up like this. No one was supposed to die. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, oh, I guess he's dead now. Okay. Okay, yeah. sure. Why not? <laughs> I do I do want to talk about that because when they cut away, it's very unclear what's happened in the previous scene. And the fact that they really just throw it away is a choice. Yeah, this was like supposedly a close friend of all the people there. And they're just like, yeah, you know, he's dead, whatever. Well, no, no, you're right. There's no excuse for this. (laughs) 
Um, Jack Jack says he didn't do anything. That's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we go to uh, Craig, Mitch, Eddie, and Court, who are all hanging out at Mitch's place. And Court's telling this very long story that, I'm going to be honest, I did not fully understand uh, nope. about how he used to pretend that he had caught a lobster and then wait until Captain Thorpe was on the phone and drop the lobster on his desk and then pretend that since he caught the lobster, he would sell the lobster to Captain Thorpe for $30. But Captain Thorpe always thought it was from the fish market. And then so but the lobster was really red. So Captain Thorpe would buy it. And then they said they had a secret lobster hole. So they would all get buckets and go get lobsters. But then it turns out that they bought it from the market. And Mitch, Craig and Eddie find this hysterical. I don't know. It's not to get there, Morgan. You, you, you <laughs> it made perfect sense there. I do that every day with my own personal Captain Thorpe. Yeah. Um, which is like my personal Jesus, but instead it's a man who can't get over Romeo and Juliet readings. Um, yeah, this story makes no sense. It's very much the epitome of we didn't want to write a scene, so we decided to crocodile rabbitowitz our way out of this. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, needs to be a TV trope. Uh, just I, I'm going to refer. I, I've decided for the rest of the podcast, whenever someone makes a story like that, I'm going to ca- call it they've crocodile rabbitowitz themselves. I am uh, extremely on board with this as a tribute to our fallen hero trevor cole mm-hmm. um but yeah court's basically hanging out drinking tequila and mitch is like hey how about you switch that tequila for coffee and then court's like i'm leaving and mitch is like you want to stay at a hotel and court's like i didn't mean i was leaving i mean i'm getting revenge for sam um so like oh you're so you're leaving this room okay yeah. <laughs> you didn't have to say you're leaving you could have just said I'm going instead of yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> That's how that, that phrase is used. Mm-hmm. Very smart writing on this show just all the time. Um, Clearly people's choice award winning <laughs> writing right here. Oh yeah. Uh, next we get a brief interlude where Eddie and court are diving to where the crates were. Uh, and then we get to uh, the final scene of our our dear friend Trevor Cole, which is that Jill and Shawnee are making sandwiches and counting their profits. Uh, Shawnee wants to invest their profits in expanding the business, but Jill just isn't interested. Uh, Trevor comes by and tries to grab a free sandwich, and uh, they tell him that you got to pay for the sandwich. And he says, "What about the lifeguard discount?" And they're like, "Ha ha, no." So Morgan. As a tribute to our fallen friend Trevor Cole, I think we should make it uh, make it a thing where anytime someone is randomly written off of this show, we have a segment where we try and figure out why they were written off. Um, you know, in, in kayfabe, in inside, you know, the canon of this show. Sure. Uh, um, do you want to take a first stab at this? Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, if I had to venture a guess. My assumption would be that um, this was a record quarter for the cereal market, and so Trevor's just spending all of his time and energy signing cereal boxes now, um, <laughs> and he knows that he's got to reserve all his wrist strength for signing, so he can't, you know, spend all his time lifeguarding and swimming, because really, you know, that takes away your available box signing energy. I I fully support that. Um What's your what's your theory? My theory is it's very grand. It's very Illuminati esque, um, without any Illuminati actually in it. <laughs> Think back. Think back to the times we've had with Trevor Cole, especially some of his brightest moments, such as learning about second drowning. I think what happened <laughs> is that this moment right here was the catalyst for Trevor Cole's future. He needed that sandwich. And he didn't have enough money, and he was trying to tell us that he did not have the money. You see, after this moment, Trevor Cole, he just lost all of his money. He couldn't afford life anymore. But what happened was that he decided, you know what? I might as well go for one last swim. 
my my boss isn't really paying me that much money and it's hard to live and afford things in this economy am i right <laughs> 1990 crazy year anyways so he decides to take one last swim and something happens and i think he starts drowning but someone saves him he remembers he remembers the second drowning he knows what's up he somehow has to save himself. Now, Ooh. I think what happens is he ends up in kind of like a pseudo life on Mars situation where he's like in like a dying scenario, but he's dreaming. He's dreaming of the better times. And now in life on Mars, this this is done by going back into the past and trying to solve a murder. I think what he does, I think he actually has imagined the entire show of Baywatch. All of Baywatch exists in the dying mind, in the dying dream of Trevor Cole. Now, how is that possible? Because you also see him in Baywatch. You see, the rest of the show is a dying dream. It is Jacob's Ladder. So now you see Ah. Trevor Cole, the genius mind. Some say he is, you know, as... Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening has the wind fish. So too does Baywatch had Trevor Cole. Just a magical being able to dream up worlds of semi-actualized emotion um, for, for us, the viewer. Now, I think what really happens is at the end of the show, you know, we reach 2001. Mm-hmm. And that is the point where Trevor Cole just gives up hope. The money has run out. And by money, I just mean imagination and hope. And the hope has run out. And he just decides, I got to put this to bed. I got to say goodbye to my old friend, Mitch. And that is when Baywatch just ceases to exist. Now, cut to 2017. Someone reads the story of Trevor Cole. They know about all the trauma he went through. And there were studies. There were studies that show what was going on in his mind. He had brief moments of consciousness where he was able to, you know, somehow dictate some key, key things. Um, You know, it's all crude and rudimentary, but they were able to pick enough up. And I think someone else fell into that same situation. And inspired by Trevor Cole, they come up with Baywatch. Now, having not seen Baywatch, <laughs> having not know having not known what Mitch looks like, they don't cast David Hasselhoff as their Mitch. They cast The Rock. Having not known who all of these people, you know, who they are, it could be anyone. And that's also how they get Zac Efron, you know. <laughs> so really, he is now creating Baywatch. And thus Baywatch only exists in the minds of dying people. Now, to tie this back into life on Mars <laughs> one last time and the life on Mars expanded universe, which includes its sequel show, which is, um, God, why am I forgetting the name of the show? Uh, the sequel show is, um, Oh wait. Oh my God. It's another Bowie song. Why am I? The Stardust. I, I don't uh, know. It's, I've never seen life uh, on Mars. You should. It's amazing. It's okay. it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Um, oh shit! And its right. sequel, which is not as good, but still good, uh, is Ashes to Ashes. And uh. spoiler for Ashes to Ashes, um, which nobody has ever seen, so you probably <laughs> will actually be spoiled on this. Sorry, everybody. Uh, you know, go forward a minute or something. Um, you find out that the world of Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars is an otherworld holding place between Earth and the afterlife, but specifically for cops and detectives, where they can figure out um, or come to terms with their death by then meeting this uh, this cop figure who um, is called the Gov, and he he just allows them to realize how they died and come to terms with it by solving their own murders via a created fiction of the past. So by going into the seventies and the eighties. And I think that 
Baywatch is just that, but for lifeguards. Baywatch is the is the middle place between Earth and hell. <laughs> Not heaven, because no lifeguard goes to heaven. All lifeguards <laughs> go to hell. Uh, but I think I think Baywatch is just this truly amazing story of how to come to grips with yourself and death. And that has been my way too long analogy for this episode. I mean, I will say a lot of uh, Baywatch watchers uh, definitely spend a lot of time coming to grips with themselves, if you know what I mean. Yeah, a lot of them feel like they're dying when they watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, next up, we've got Eddie and Court back underwater again. Uh, and they find the explosives that blew up the crate of electronics. I mean, and Sam, but like, let's focus on the important stuff here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Once they get back to the boat, Court says that these explosives were the same kind as when he was a Navy SEAL, and Eddie looks very impressed. Um, sure, why not? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they get back to headquarters, or to the beach i forget exactly where they were at this point uh oh back to the shop yeah um and jack and some random muscle boy show up to try and intimidate court but court is not intimidated um and literally as jack and the other guy walk out mitch walks in and i couldn't help but think like in an episode where you've shown that you have no issue with dragging things out uh far longer than they need to Really? Really? Like, he walks in as Jack leaves. Like, he was standing out there waiting for his line to be called. Like, (laughs) I I think it's just they're like, look, we just need to get Mitch in there now. The viewers are dragging. They're they're tired. Get Mitch in there. Stare at his abs. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, he shows up to ask Court, like, who could have wanted you dead? Um, And then Court goes into the kitchen and finds a bomb with three seconds left. Um, and runs back into the other room and dives and, like, covers Mitch, and then the bomb blows up, and him and Mitch are fine. Um, and Mitch is like, you sure you don't think anyone would want you dead? And Court's like, maybe they do. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then... But then he says he's got to go on a date now. Uh, he's got to go on a date with Melinda. And right. it's just like, yeah. Court, why do you do this? Why are, why, why are you like this? yeah. Um, next is Court in Mitch's office with Garner and Mitch, um, telling the two of them about a guy named Grant who might want to kill Court because Court turned him into the, uh, like army for having too many explosives or something. Um, yeah, he used too much C4 and it killed some people in the squad. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's like, I, it's unfortunate, but not that interesting. <laughs> exactly. And we learn that, that Grant's a real a real joker who blew up a bank when the bank wouldn't give him a loan because he's crazy. Yeah. And then Court defends not talking about him by saying, well, the guy's in prison, so I never thought I'd tell you, but he very much wants to kill me. And they're like, are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we've seen... Zero evidence to the contrary. <laughs> well, right. Court Court is, again, pulling a Sonic the Hedgehog. He's just <laughs> out on the road all the time. You got to see that movie. You don't yeah. have to. But I mean, I, I will watch it. it it's, it's actually kind of worth it. it it's fun. Um, it's Jim Carrey just being full Jim Carrey. Like, totally. he goes back to, like, Ace Ventura Jim Carrey. Oh, wow. Uh, and, like, that's the level of Jim Carrey. Um Court is just like Sonic the Hedgehog in that he's just always out on the road just doing shit, so he doesn't know what's happening. So I, I feel like you would think he's running away in prison, but have you checked? <laughs> <laughs> like, I doubt you've checked. You've just been out playing pool and hanging out with Melinda. Like, I wouldn't be shocked that this guy got out five years ago and nobody told you. Mm-hmm. Next, we get some more. We get to finally meet Grant, in fact. Uh, because we get some more court action, which is Eddie and Court are back in Sam's shop after the explosion, and they're cleaning up by putting completely unharmed boxes back on a shelf. Uh, <laughs> court gets a phone call from Grant, and they make threats at each other for a while, 
and then agree to duel at four. Uh, also, I I was curious about this. So every line that one of them has, it cuts, you know, Grant's at some payphone and Court is inside Sam's shop at the phone and it keeps like cutting between the two of them for each line, you know, standard phone dialogue scene kind of thing, except that they don't cut to Grant for one of his lines. And it's really weird and obvious because it's just a long shot of Court saying his line and then saying the next line. And it's like you you couldn't get like a single good take out of the actor playing Grant. Were they trying to build tension? Like, I don't I did not understand why you wouldn't just keep going with the back and forth, because they even do a, a cut to Grant after that and then back to court. Look. Morgan, that's the Paul Schneider cut, uh, touch. <laughs> I mean, that's just what you get when you get Elise Kratz work like the likes of Paul Schneider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't don't doubt his vision. <laughs> yeah. Um, he directed such amazing scenes as this next one, where we learn that Jill hasn't sold a single sandwich because a uh, sandwich guy hired hot women in bikinis to sell sandwiches for him. And now he's winning. Yay. And at least in my version, there is no follow-up to this. Nope. Not a single bit. Yeah. So basically, Buddy just wins. Yeah. Uh, which, again, just like Dorn, um, <laughs> Dorn, Dorn loses because nobody cares. It's never resolved. Uh, and it's just a bunch of sand. Yeah. It's a bunch of sand and boobs. And that's mm-hmm. basically what the beach is in this episode. I mean, and also Dorn. Oh, yes. I forgot to say that part. Yes. <laughs> also, Dorn is mostly just sand and boobs in the yeah. show. And bad pussy. Got that fucking line. <laughs> that was such a bad. Oh, my God. Um, speaking of. Yeah. Oh, God. Ugh, fuck. I forgot <laughs> about that season. It's even decent in the books. Like it's it's decent, but it's hard to follow. But yeah, because they're just like, hey, you know how you spent like three books just like getting to know all these characters, some of these characters intimately and some of them you've learned about what they like to eat for breakfast. (laughs) What if I threw 50 new ones at you and you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but at least in the book version, there's like that whole plot line where, like, she's trying to escape or whatever. The character's name I can't remember because George R.R. Martin is never going to finish those books and she doesn't appear in any of the rest of them. But it felt like it was going to be an interesting plot line. Whoa, 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 wait. In in the excerpts he released six years ago (laughs) for The Winds of Winter, he does mention one of the Sand Sisters once. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, also to defend the book... There's no bad pussy in it. There's only good pussy in Book Dorn, which separates it. It contrasts it from the show. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the show has just, you know, decided to take Dorn and flip it on its head. Oh, yeah. Or vagina, head or vagina, you know, whatever. (laughs) Just what they say, flip it on its vagina. I want to make that the title for the episode so bad, but I know we can't. We absolutely cannot call this episode Flip It On Its Vagina. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking head or vagina. (laughs) We also can't do that. No, that's a bad idea. But what it isn't. Um, I mean, it is. It very much is. You know, you know what else is a really bad idea? Um, the fact that Court and Grant have decided that the best way for them to fight is while they're diving. Uh, so they have a knife fight underwater. <sighs> very dumb. It's very boring. It's so boring. But we should add that Grant also put some C4 on the rudder of the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's important for five seconds later. I actually missed that and thought that this episode was more competent than it was. (laughs) Yeah, Mitch, Gardner, and Eddie and the cops all show up on a police boat just in time. And uh, then they all arrest Grant. And then Court and Eddie are on the other boat for reasons I didn't understand. 
And then Eddie's like, hey, Court, why didn't Grant just shoot you? And Court's like, it's because Grant wanted to blow me up and then immediately dives into the water. And it turns out there were explosives on the boat. So they go to another boat that I couldn't figure out where it came from. And they're yeah. all fine. <laughs> like, yep. And then there's just one last scene, which is Court is at Sam's shop uh, when Mitch, Craig and Eddie show up. And it turns out that Sam left court everything in his will, which doesn't I have questions, but I also yeah. don't care enough to get into it. <laughs> I do care enough. Like, OK, so he wrote this will before court came back. Yes. Or court came back and is like, hey, while you're lying there on the floor, I got to go meet the guy who does my will just before we do this thing tomorrow. Uh, and I'm going to put you in, which seems odd. Like the only other character we see Sam interacting with is kid who wants to buy a a surfboard. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that, um, you know, all of like the contents in the shop went to the kid, but the shop itself <laughs> went to court. Uh, but I could be wrong there. Maybe I don't know how, you know, will law works. <laughs> Will Law would be a great character name for, like, a detective. Will Law would 100% be, in in six Tekken games, they will make <laughs> Will Law a character. Um, but I do, I do have one explanation for why Sam would have left the shop to court, even though, you know, he wasn't sure, you know, where court was or what was going on. And mm-hmm. because uh, Sam knew... That uh, the court came back the very next day, thought he was a goner, but he couldn't stay away. I was going to say that he thought, you know, just <laughs> the ball's in his court now. Ooh, man, there are so many good puns here. And I, <laughs> I know. love all of them. I hate all of them, and I hate myself for making that one. <laughs> um, but the thing that court's not interested in is the shop. So he gets on his motorcycle with... Melinda? Yes. Melinda, yes. Uh, and they ride off to Yuma after he gives the shop to Eddie. And that's the end of the episode. And it's, yeah, you know, it's an episode. It happened. Um, I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but in retelling it, I realized just how little actually happened in this episode. Yeah, it's um, it's okay. It's better than the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... I'm fine with it. I'm fine yeah. with it. What I'll say is, like, if we do end up seeing more of Court, which it sounds like we will, I think this was a good introductory episode for him. And I think it will work yeah. better in retrospect. But I think it was definitely very heavy on, like, all right, we've got this character. We want to establish them. Here's what they're all about. We've got one episode. There's the whole episode. Like, there's kind of not a lot actually going on. Yeah. But yeah, it worked for me a little bit because I just think Court is an interesting character and I think the actor is both good and also very attractive. So I would agree. So, Morgan, on a scale of one to ten, where one is you're walking along the beach, it's very, very, very muddy and there are some twigs and maybe some rocks this time mm-hmm. underneath you um, and a ten is sniffing Mitch's abs. Where would you rate it? I would give it, I would say about a six and a half. And I'm going to call a six and a half a particularly satisfying, but slightly too warm shrimp salad sandwich on a croissant. Nice. I, I am going to rate it a five. Okay. And I think a five is, do you you remember at the beginning of Fateful Findings where there's just a disembodied set of legs? Yes. Uh, I think a five is Jill's disembodied set of legs selling you a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's kind of what a five is. It's not like horrible, but you're also like, what? Where 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 do the legs end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where where does leg end and calf start? Yeah. Um these are the important questions we answer here on Baywatch Rookie School. <laughs> it's a podcast for so many things. Baywatch, anatomy, jokes, you know, um, just a genius, genius show we got here. Um, 
So let's talk about next episode. Yes, let's. So our, our next episode is actually another guest episode. Yay! Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few guests coming up in the next few weeks, which is very exciting. Um, and more to come, uh, hopefully. That or, I mean, I don't know, Ru- Ru- the the sweat dripping down Rudy Giuliani's size of his face, which isn't, <laughs> apparently is, is actually not, um, it's not hair dye. According oh. to many interviewed New York hairstylists, they instead say <laughs> that it is. <laughs> I'm not joking. The New York no, Times. You. It's just a very funny sentence. <laughs> uh, these hairstylists say that it is in fact mascara that is dripping down the sides of his face because the hair dye wouldn't be that watery. Okay, but uh, follow up question: Why mascara on your forehead? Why mascara pe- on your hairline? They say it's to to make the hairline more even. Okay. I would think you would use, like, eyebrow pencil for that, but it's also been a few years, so. They also mentioned that, but they think that maybe the eyebrow pencil just wasn't enough. Could be. Uh, which, look, I don't claim that Rudy Giuliani does anything that's sane. <laughs> uh, nor do I claim that he d- does anything that's good. Yeah. Because he, cause he isn't. He's he's the worst. Um, yes. I don't even know why I brought this up. Oh, that's why. In case the world ends because his weird sweat drips oh, on me yeah. and poisons my water. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the inside of my body is its own Flint, Michigan. Um, uh, we have some guests coming up. Now, our next episode is called We Need a Vacation. And as usual, we're going to read the plot from IMDb and the Baywatch Wiki. So, time for IMDb. Craig, Court, and Eddie take a road trip to Mexico, but their vacation south of the border turns ugly when they tangle with an angry American tourist who won't leave them alone. At Baywatch, Mitch gets an uninvited house guest. Captain Thorpe, when his wife leaves him, and Hobie develops a crush on Shawnee. Yikes. Okay. The Baywatch wiki is Craig joins Court and Eddie on a trip to Mexico for a long overdue vacation, but things turn quite differently than any of them expect. Meanwhile, Mitch has an unexpected house guest and Hobie falls in love with Shawnee. Um, sounds like quite the banger of an episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nothing nothing's good, bad's going to happen about Hobie, a uh, 12, 13, 11 year old falling in love with Shawnee, eight. 20, 21, 22 year old. Yeah. Nothing, nothing problematic will happen there. And I'm sure given that this is 1990, it'll be handled in a way that we can all walk away from and say, I'm glad they did it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it will be handled with the same level of grace and delicacy that we saw, see from more modern movies where, you know, you have a like semi intimate relationship between a uh, like preteen boy and an older woman, like in book of Henry. Oh, yeah. So clearly, uh, Shawnee here is trying to channel uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, except for the fact that Shawnee is, one, not annoying, two, has made a joke that I've laughed at before, three, (laughs) doesn't seem as problematic somehow, uh, and four, I could probably actually stand being in a room with her. Uh, And uh, Hobie, just like uh, the titular Henry, uh, is a dipshit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) and he's entitled and uh, that's where everything else starts to fade away because i like hobie far more than i like henry Mm -hmm. i hate that little shit oh my god uh he's just the worst um we talk about the book of henry far too much on this show and that's because i secretly love the book of henry because i hate it so much yeah i can't stop thinking about it and i wish i could there was this post on Twitter today where someone mentioned that there's this picture of Lin-Manuel Miranda biting his lip. Oh, I know the picture. Yeah, that no one can forget about. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to forget that either. And then actually the book of Henry popped in my mind and I was like, <laughs> fuck. Well, there goes Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hello, book of Henry. <laughs> it's It's just like this worm that gets into your brain and you're constantly trying to figure out how it exists why it exists and why people keep on casting sarah silverman and things yeah uh 
I remember when I was younger, someone was like, she's the best Jewish comedian we got. And I was like, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> you're Jewish. And have you not? Like, there's a lot of bad Jewish comedians. And there's a lot of, I don't know, the greats uh, yeah. that are. And they're like, okay, I- I'm sorry. Fine. She's the best female comedian. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> like, there are so many greats out there. Yeah. And she is clearly not one of them. Okay, well, she's the best at the the, uh, the style she does. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> there are others who do what she does, but also are better, like Joan Rivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there's in no world is Sarah Silverman the best. In fact, Aubrey Plaza has a video on YouTube where she showed up unannounced at a comedy club and did impressions of Sarah Silverman. <laughs> and it was so much better than actual Sarah Silverman. Wow. Uh, Cause it's just her doing her normal voice mm-hmm. and saying things like one time I pooped and so did God. And God was also a Jewish man. And that's the entire joke. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that makes so much sense. So Sarah Silverman joke. Okay. Yeah. The, the one thing I do like her in, and to be entirely honest, it's because I generally forget that it's her, is uh, as whichever one of Ollie or Andy she is on Bob's Burgers. Oh, yeah, you're right. Nope, nope, you're, you're right. Yeah. She's good. She's also, uh, did you ever see Orphan? You've seen Orphan Black. Yeah, yeah. So she gets to play a scorpion. Interesting. She plays a uh, I think it's, yeah, it's Sarah Silverman gets to play a scorpion that it's either, okay, it's been a while. So <laughs> I can't remember if it's, if it's Sarah Silverman playing the scorpion talking to Tatiana Maslany or it's Tatiana Maslany trying to be Sarah Silverman. Cause I remember a interview where, where Tatiana Maslany talked a bunch about Sarah Silverman. Uh, and either way, I don't want to manifest it as true. Uh, but I think that it might be what happened. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I got to that point in Orphan Black, but... No one did except for me. No, <laughs> like, uh, the, the, uh, that show is utter nonsense uh, at the end, and I love it dearly, but it needed to stop. It just let's forget about Orphan Black past <laughs> season four. <laughs> yeah. For, for the sake of everybody. But uh, I, think, I think much like Orphan Black, this episode of the podcast needs to stop as well. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, you got you got any final thoughts on this uh, episode? Uh, I'm just excited because every week we get closer and closer to Shark Derby. Yes. Oh, my God. I literally know nothing about this episode except the name. And that's all I want to know about it for the moment. And I'm so hyped. It's going to be uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be it's going to be a great episode of Baywatch and of this podcast. I cannot wait but i want to thank you all so much for listening to this episode of baywatch rookie school if you want to find us on twitter our show handle is at rookie school pod i'm at morgan p thrap and i am at snotsnit s-n-o-t-s-n-i-t we'll see you next week and just remember hips lips and fingertips ew